You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are back, and we've got a great one tonight. This one, we are looking at Godzilla minus one. It's interesting because this is the first time we've actually had a movie review for one of the Japanese Godzilla movies. This is real interesting to do because we've done all the American-made ones since, you know, King of Monsters all the way up through Kong versus Godzilla. And it's interesting to be able to talk about this one because this one took me by surprise. I did not even know this was coming. And, you know, when I saw the trailer about three or four weeks ago, I said, I'll probably go to see it. And then I heard everyone, the buzz starting to build with it. And I wrote Mike and I was just like, dude, we have to review this one. And he was like, he didn't even bat an eye. He went, okay. I'm sorry. Go see a Godzilla movie in the theater. Oh, twist my arm. I know. Exactly. Exactly. And we've got a great, great crew to talk all about it. Of course, Mr. Mike Gordon's here. Howdy. Welcome back, sir. You were missed last week. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I uh, still haven't seen um, Napoleon yet, so I'm uh, not uh, not uh, quite sure if I'm going to now based on uh, the uh, reviews that you guys had last week. But um I, I will check it out at some point but uh yeah i was sorry to miss it but i was i had a good vacation at home uh good thanksgiving so uh i appreciate the uh sentiments that i got uh that i was missed oh very much so people were like going where's gordon where's the howdy <laughs> but that was pretty cool though and um, who man who didn't even leave since last week alan porter's back thank you yeah i was gonna say it's, uh, it only seems like a week since we were last together <laughs> it, it, it feels just like yesterday to me, man. It really, really does. It's great to have you. Uh, returning very much. And of course, Drew Myers here. Well, hi. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Oh, dude. I, I, I'm glad that you could fit this in, especially since, you know, this wasn't directed by David Cronenberg. <laughs> uh, Mike is referring to the fact that for the month of November, I decided to watch all of Cronenberg's films, 22 films in chronological Ooh. order. And I got about three quarters of the way through and had to take a break. It was getting to the point where I was watching a Cronenberg, then watching a Paddington movie, then watching a Cronenberg, then a Paddington movie. Uh, and then I just had to stop. So um, this was an excellent break from that watch. And I'm looking forward to talking with you, gentlemen. Oh, it's going to be great. I'm glad you're here. And returning once again, Mark Holmes is here. Welcome, sir. Konnichiwa. It is awesome. You know, we're talking Godzilla, you know. It's either you or Maddox showing up for these movies. And it's it was great to when you said, I know you're reviewing Godzilla. Can I be in on it? You know, you were I, like literally the first one who jumped in. So it's always great to have you, sir. Thanks for having me. I always have to uh, make your own luck, you say. So I reached out to Mike <laughs> and he was nice enough to accept. Absolutely. Of course, of course. And of course, at home, if you haven't seen the movie yet, and it's, you know, it's not in widespread. It's not at every single movie theater. It's close for a Japanese release. It's very widespread. But compared to something like the Marvels or Napoleon or some of the other new stuff that's coming out, 
that's American release, it's, you know, on every corner almost. But Godzilla, you had to travel a little bit. We are going to spoil the hell out of this one. Okay, so you have been warned. Mr. Mike, ready to take away, sir. Yeah, um, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the box office. There's not a lot to talk about. I mean, it did it did okay. Um, uh, it's opening weekend. It grossed, um, uh, you know, like a, about eleven, I think, eleven or twelve million dollars, um, which wasn't terrible. Um, you know, it was third this week, but that just goes to show you how terrible the box office has been overall uh, for folks. Uh, but I mean, it did make some some ground um some headway um and some history because it's the largest box office opening for any live action japanese film in north america so that in and of itself is pretty significant and also it's actually um i believe the largest opening for a foreign film this year in the united states so um uh so that's pretty significant um it did have a lot going against it because it is uh japanese with subtitles so i you know for whatever reason a lot of people like stay away from that kind of thing and and so it's a hard sell and and as mike pointed out it wasn't available on every every single cinema that you could go to despite the fact that they have multi-screens and i think another thing that hurt it too at least i was disappointed is the fact that because it's a smaller release the all the big movies uh, Beyonce, et cetera, et cetera, are taking all of the uh, Dolby theaters, are taking all the IMAX theaters. So Godzilla Minus One, even though it was shot for IMAX, um, it was not available for a lot of people to watch in that format, which was very disappointing. So I know that I saw it on a, in a, you know, pretty much a regular screen, um, not enhanced in, in any way. And, and yet there were many times, I mean, we'll talk, we'll go into it, but there were many times where I didn't feel like it was that diminished because I was like, wow, both visually and audio wise. Um, so, uh, but, um, yeah, um, it's, it, you know, we've talked about it before the box office this year has been really wonky. Um, it's been crazy. And, uh, I think, you know, there's not, I wouldn't, I would, I look, I'm looking at the pluses on this one. Uh, despite the fact that it's a minus one, I'm looking at the pluses on this release instead of the the, the minuses. As far as you know, the fact that you know it did it, it it didn't do huge numbers, especially when you compare it to the uh, legendary pictures releases for Godzilla movies over the last uh, was it almost wow ten years right? Because that first one came out in 2014. So goodness gracious, it doesn't you know it does half that which is kind of unfortunate, but as we'll get into it, I think a lot of us will agree that this one is not one to miss. Um, uh, this one is, um, yeah, this one should be seen by more people. And I hope that that's the case. I hope the word of mouth is, uh, and we can help that out by um, by spreading the word. So um, that said, let's get into it um, uh, and talk about... First of all, um, I know, you know, Mark, you've been on the show before and we've talked about Godzilla and Godzilla movies and everything. But real briefly, um, what's your history with the big green guy and uh, what uh, were you expecting about this movie? Oh, my history is pretty it's probably going to be pretty similar to everybody else. I actually grew up watching Godzilla movies and Ultraman and all the giant uh, Japanese monster movies. We had a show. Uh, with a local horror host who would show the Godzilla movies on Saturday mornings. So I was 
pretty much of an introvert when I was younger. So I'd stay home and watch the horror movies on Saturday mornings. And uh, Godzilla was a big part of it. The one that I remember the most as a child was uh, Godzilla versus the sea monster. Because I believe it snuck into the public domain somehow. And the local UHF stations would just run it again and again and again. So I have very vivid memory of that one. Uh, as I got older and I got married and had children, I wanted to get my son into it, but he just didn't, it just didn't click with him. So the first Toho movie I ever saw, Godzilla one, was uh, Godzilla 2000. And uh, we saw that in the theater and uh, I liked it, but my son wasn't very impressed with it. So he, he mm-hmm. goes his own direction. So when I heard that Godzilla minus one was going to be in a theater, I had to, I had to see that one. I had missed Shin Godzilla somehow. It came and went in my area very quickly. So Shin Godzilla slipped right by me, but I did catch that movie. Yeah, that one was very much, uh, that one came out, that was the last Toho release, I believe, um, at least theatrically. Um, and when it hit this country, I don't even, I don't know how many screens it was. It wasn't very huge. And I don't even think it made, I think it made less than $5 million really total in in north america which was very very small um but that one was one that once it was released and available um i think it was on netflix um but streaming anyway word of mouth got out pretty quickly on that one uh drew what about you what's your history with uh the king of monsters uh as a small child i owned the shogun warriors godzilla toy uh that I, you I could hit the button on his back He's right up there on that shelf yep yep with the tongue <laughs> and the fists launching off um godzilla is one of those where before we let's see i would watch it on tv on reruns as soon as we got a vhs player i would rent the the movies um in fact the very first vhs we ever rented was godzilla 1984 so as a seven-year-old, uh, that was one of those things really early on. I think it had the Godzilla versus Bambi trailer right there at the beginning. Um, I have two younger brothers uh, who are – one is 12 years younger than me. The other is 20 years younger than me. And as they came to a certain age, those were the films that we used to watch together. So we've watched pretty much all of the original um, series. Once they came into the later 2000s, I kind of fell off for a while. Um, Shin Godzilla came out. Uh, watched it twice in the theaters. Uh, I think it's a masterpiece. Uh, we'll probably talk about that a little bit in comparison, especially tonally, because um, it came out in 2016 mm-hmm. and then basically got a, a gag order while Legendary were the ones releasing the the films. Uh, so, yeah, as soon as this was announced that it was going to be coming out, it piqued my interest. And as soon as I found out I could see it in a the theater, I went. I, I Like you said, very bummed I missed it on IMAX. Uh, a couple of friends of mine who have gotten a chance to see it in some bigger cities, they said it's really astounding. But I feel like the impact of this movie is less about the sound and the visuals and more about the story, which I'm sure we'll get into in just a moment. So it's not that big of a loss. Uh, and if I can find it on IMAX, I will go see it sometime soon. Yeah, I'm definitely going to rewatch it if it if it gets a bigger release here. Uh, that's for sure. Um, Alan, what about you? I am a newbie to the party. Um <laughs> Culturally, Godzilla is not that big a thing in the UK. Did not grow up with it. Um, not part of my childhood at all. Um, obviously knew who Godzilla was, you know, that, I mean, it just sort of seeps through the cultural zeitgeist, but it was not a big thing on TV like it was here. Of course, most of my friends over here. To, I need, I think he needs to target London now. Yeah. Um, 
but of course, most of my friends over here, having moved to the States 20 odd years ago, you know, most of my friends here around the same age, like you guys, they all grew up on it. So it's Godzilla, 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 you know, can't go out for a drink without somebody talking about Godzilla sort of thing. Um, but I actually didn't really watch a single Godzilla film until I was on a flight to Tokyo in 2014. And Godzilla mm. was actually on the in-flight entertainment. And I thought, well, I'm going to Tokyo. I might as well watch a Godzilla movie. But of course, in that movie, he attacked San Francisco, not Tokyo. So it was all the way. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I will say I was completely unimpressed. And then I was invited to a press screening of Shin Godzilla. And I absolutely adored it. I thought it was a brilliant piece of filmmaking. And having just a couple of years ago been in Japan, just the view it gave of Japanese culture, the way Japanese government worked, why things happened the way they did and stuff, I thought was absolutely brilliant. And there wasn't a lot of the actual big lizard in it. Um, You know, it it was more about people's reaction to it, which I thought was really clever uh, and really loved it. Um, Watched Godzilla versus Kong because I got co-opted onto... A panel at a convention where we we're going to talk about it so i had to go watch it before i did the convention um that pretty much was the sum of my godzilla history up until this week um like mike said i saw the the um you know a couple of the trailers sort of you know three four weeks ago and thought oh this looks good and then i started hearing the buzz and particularly the buzz about as drew was just mentioning it the story mm-hmm. how human this story is it's got you know it's it's a very human story that just happens to have a big lizard in it. And it what I was seeing in the trailers looked very cool. So I thought, yeah, I'll go see it. Um, so I want to see it this weekend. And I tell you, I never expected my the two best movies I saw this year, that one would be about a um a doll and the other one would be about a big lizard. But um yeah, it totally <laughs> blew me away. I I was very impressed with it. So Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm coming at it with a a very sort of fresh perspective. I don't have the history or anything. That's very cool. That's very cool. So you've never seen the, like, the original 1954. I've obviously seen clips and stuff on YouTube of men in rubber suits and stuff like that. But I've never sat down and watched any of the original Japanese Godzilla movies. Um, I'm thinking back, as actually, just before we got on the air, I was thinking back. I think I've seen, like, the the 1998 one. The, was it Ronald Emmerich? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I've, I, I think you're mistaken. Seen... There may not actually have been a 1998 oh, okay. Godzilla <laughs> movie. Sorry, that, sorry. That yeah, possi- yeah. couldn't possibly have existed. I, th- I think I you're think, probably I thinking think... of something with Jurassic oh, uh, Park. No, I think okay, that's so about the that's last like, time that's going like to be mentioned. It's like Highlander 2. It doesn't exist. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. That's the last time that one will be mentioned on this show. Okay. Um, but, uh, but Mike, I know that uh, we've talked about Godzilla a lot. A re- quick recap about like what your thoughts were going into this one. Oh, well, everyone knows, you know, like Drew and Mark and such. I grew up on drag on Godzilla. You know, it was the Saturday afternoon movies on Channel Twenty. Growing up, it was you know going to see Ultraman on you know TV after school. Johnny Sacco and Giant Robot, you know, Shogun Warriors, you know, and Godzilla was always floating around those, even though he was not in the TV shows. But it was always interesting. You know, I the first movie that I actually got to see Godzilla in the theaters was the movie that shall not be named and forgotten forever all time. <laughs> and but then, you know, having a young son uh, born in 99 he was the perfect age for 
watching Godzilla movies. And, you know, as William grew up, you know, we religiously watched all the different Godzillas, even Final Wars. And, you know, it went where, you know, that was just awesome. It was all the monsters and everything. And, you know, it was just great being able to watch it together. And then, you know, 10 years ago when they came out with the new Godzilla, King of Monsters, it was like re-evaluation of my love for it. And we've talked about it multiple times, all the different movies. But we've also talked about Godzilla, the Japanese versions, and, you know, all the different watchings we've done at conventions or at home. And they're always just fun because they're fun movies to watch. And then I saw the trailer for this one. And I was like, oh, this is this one felt very similar to Shin very, very much from the trailers and what it looked like and everything. And I was like, oh, this looks awesome. And then what had me, you know, we'll get into it, of course, but, you know, the look of the monster and everything was just like, wow, I've got to go see this one. And it's, it won me over with that. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I mean, yeah, similar story here. I grew up with Godzilla movies on Saturday afternoon, creature double features. Um, and, um, but most of those were the, 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 the seventies, uh, Toho movies that were dubbed, um, and where Godzilla was pretty cartoony. Like, I mean, it was cool, but like he was fighting like other monsters, big monsters. And it was just, you know, um, it was a lot of fun. Um, I do remember at some point seeing the 1956 American version of his debut with Raymond Burr. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool and everything. Um, I don't think I'd seen the original 1954 Godzilla movie, uh, the, the Japanese version. I don't think I'd seen that until we went to record our episode uh, spotlighting Godzilla for one of our countdown to Halloween episodes. I think it was 2014 where we did that as well. And um, I, I purposefully watched uh, the original Japanese version and I was blown away. I hadn't realized that that was, that was something else entirely. That was not cartoony. Um, and it was really, really significant um, and, and really was, uh, not just a monster movie, but uh, like all really, really good monster movies, it was a parable for a lot of things that were happening in Japan at the time. And uh, it was really something, I think, that that was closely associated with Japan. Um, so I, I didn't understand that until I watched that one. And as much as I've enjoyed some of the legendary films uh, over the years, 10 years, I guess it's been, my goodness. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I've, I've been, I've looked out for the, uh, the Toho releases. I think Criterion did a really good job at re-releasing those in a nice, great package that you can watch them with subtitles instead of dubs. So I think that helps a lot. Um, if anything else, it helps you take them more seriously, I think, in some ways. Um, and, uh, I'm not really that, uh, I, I didn't want I haven't watched all the the Toho ones that were done like in the in later, like in the 90s and the 2000s and all that. So uh, those I'm those are a big blank spot for me as far as the Godzilla franchise. 
But I did see Shin Godzilla. I think largely because, Mike, you were talking about it at the time and you had seen it and you were like, this is awesome. So I watched it. I enjoyed it a lot. I didn't love it, love it. I, I appreciated the take that they, they had on it. I thought it was really interesting. Um, but I didn't like love it, love it, especially I don't, I wasn't really too excited about the creature design, especially in the beginning. Um, but, uh, but I was all like, this is the first time I've seen a Toho Godzilla movie in the theater. So that alone was enough for me to go. Yes, please. Also, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that, uh, this is coming out at the same time that the Monarch series on Apple Plus is out. Uh, they just released a Godzilla and Kong uh, trailer for that's coming that's coming out next year. So even though they're kind of you know they're doing their own thing, there's this sort of connection between what Toho's doing and what um, what Legendary's doing. Uh, I think they're sort of playing off each other, um, as I think Drew pointed out. Um, Toho's not allowed to come out with a Godzilla movie whenever, you know, Legendary does. So they're kind of limited in what they can do. Um, so, uh, I don't know when we'll get the next one, but I'm glad we got this one. So this was a great experience. Um, I think this, this to me now ranks as one of the, uh, it's the second best Godzilla movie to me in, um, apart from the 19, uh, the original 1954 one. And um, I'd say it's it's it ranks up there among the best movies I've seen this year. Uh, this is this is really, really special. Um, and let's talk a little bit more about how special it is and why um, why it's so special. Um, Drew, we're going to start with you this round. Um, what uh, what what how did Godzilla minus one uh, reach you, man? How did, uh, what do you think of it as a whole? Mike, if you had told me a week ago that I was going to cry in a Godzilla film, uh, I would have said it's possible, uh, unlikely, but possible. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're talking about the trailer for this film. The trailer for Godzilla Minus One does not discuss the plot. It is it is all monster. Uh and I think that's the thing that a lot of people are going to stay away from is they're, you know, they think, oh, the advertisements, people just want to see this monster. When this movie wins awards, and it will win awards, it's going to win awards because of the the human element. The part that, let's face it, is usually the weakest when it comes to Godzilla movies. When we were all children, Alan aside, when we were all children watching those movies, I'm pretty sure none of us were watching it for the human interaction. Uh, you know, unless it was those little twins singing to for Mothra. We want to see the guy in the rubber suit smashing the models. And admittedly, that's what I thought I wanted out of this film. I would have been happy watching this movie even without Godzilla in it. Uh, and that is the biggest compliment I can make because yes. it was that good. And then you gave me a big atomic lizard and that just <laughs> made it better. Um, I will say that uh, I th I'm going to, I'm going to watch this again, uh, probably relatively soon. At the moment, Shin Godzilla stands as my favorite of the Godzilla, and then probably this one, then the original 1954, one that I came into late in life. Didn't realize what the big deal was when everyone would talk about how great of a film it was until Criterion released a Blu-ray of it. And I'm like, have I actually watched this movie? And I watched it I'm like, where's Raymond Burr? Ah, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I came out of the theater uh, – 
and immediately started recording notes. Uh, I think I I recorded like about 10, 10 minutes worth of notes just on the ride back, which admittedly is a bit dangerous in the car. I probably shouldn't have done that, but uh, I needed to get those thoughts down because I knew that there wasn't going to be anyone in my life that was going to be discussing this with me immediately until this, this podcast. You don't have to worry Um, about it. Nobody watches us or listens to us anyway, so they won't know. (laughs) Um, so yeah, um, I thought it was exceptional. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to discussing characters with you. I'm, uh, imagery, um, themes, uh, narrative flow, all the things that I would never have expected to want to discuss, uh, in a Godzilla film. Um, and again, like if you told me the Godzilla is the weakest part of the Godzilla movie, um, I would never would have believed it. And I'm not saying it's weak. I'm just saying it is the weakest part. Um, but I'm going to let somebody else rant for a second and uh, you can come back to me with those. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll definitely see how much we can get through all of that uh, in the limited time that we have to talk about it here. But um, uh, Mark, what about you? What, uh, what are your overall feelings about Godzilla minus one? Where does it rank for you? Oh, it ranks right up there at the top. Uh, I'm a sucker for the uh, cheesy Godzilla movies. Those those are the ones that Mm -hmm. I grew up on. And then I'm a sucker for the nineties era. Godzilla movies because they were right over the top. Some of those '90s movies are just bonkers. But uh, I'm also a romantic at heart, and similar to what Drew said, I did get a little misty-eyed more than once in the entire movie. I when I got home from the movie, I went to my wife and I said, "You would have been crying your eyes out if you watched this movie with me." And she said, "Well, it's probably a good thing I didn't go then." So <laughs> this. I am a romantic at heart, and this is a love story that I have never seen before. The The couple that wind up together, it just blew me away. It's it just so innocent, the way that they just found each other in the, all this devastation of Japan. Uh, to catch people up, the movie starts at the end of World War II, mm-hmm. and it's almost a post-apocalyptic movie when it comes to Japan because the entire country was just devastated from the American bombings. A lot of people don't know that during World War II, the Air Force was firebombing Japan and more Japanese died in the firebombings of Tokyo than did during the two atomic bomb attacks. So it was going to happen sooner or later that the, uh, the Japanese would have surrendered, but the atomic bombings actually just sped that up a little bit. But to look at the devastation from the newsreels of the day, and then they recreate it in this movie at the personal level, you see a soldier come home from war and there's nothing to come home to. His neighbor from across the street comes across the street and instead of welcoming him, you know, thank God you're alive. She's actually upset with him because he didn't fight harder. Right. Now, she had a personal loss. Everybody in the movie lost somebody in the war. Well, she was just, also, Mark, she was also mad at him because he was supposed to be a kamikaze. Correct. But he knew that. Correct. Uh, he was supposed to go out and die. He wasn't supposed to go out and fight. He was supposed to just go out there and die. Uh, that happened in the opening minutes of the movie when he lands his plane at the at the air base mm-hmm. and there is a bomb on the bottom of his plane. And the, I'm a bit of a history buff. And I said, 
I know exactly what this guy is. I know exactly what he didn't do. And I know what's going to happen to him. I realized that he was a kamikaze pilot that lost his nerve and could not go through with it. And I said, okay, they're setting him up as a coward in the beginning of the movie. But as we get to know this young man, he's not a coward. He's just somebody who did not want to die. And I said, that is the most human response you could ever. I can't even imagine climbing into a plane with the intention of deliberately crashing it into a enemy ship. It just, you know, just not something that a normal person would think about. And the kamikazes went out in the thousands and did that. It was, it was a really, really strange time of the war. And, uh, but as they're seeing, they, you know, as they get notes from home, all of Japan is being destroyed from the air. And it's, it's really like, um, I'm getting a little choked up just talking about it. It was really a tough, and they brought that home to the human level. And as was mentioned, you could make this movie without the dinosaur and it would be almost as powerful. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's like it, it this movie and the very first Godzilla movie. Um, and I think there's some others that are, it's probably a lot more subtle, but this is really hits home where the, the, the sort of when I think Godzilla is much more like powerfully effective when he's depicted as not just a random monster, uh, but as a sort of like godlike figure, you know, like um, uh, and and with for you know people that are dealing with a lot of of issues. Um, uh, so I thought that that's what made this uh, this take on him really, really much more powerful than some of the others that I've seen. Alan, what about you? What uh, what uh, how did you feel about the the whole thing? Uh, yeah, I was the same. And there was actually parts of the movie when I was like, oh, don't bring Godzilla on at the moment. I can see because <laughs> I was so invested in the human story. It was actually interesting because when I got home, my wife, Jill, said to me, so she said, well, what was the movie about? And I'm like, well, first off, it was not a monster movie. I think them actually marketing it as a monster movie has done themselves a disservice because I think people will not go to see it because they think it's a monster movie. Uh, and it's far more than that. Though I will say when I went, the movie theater was full. I actually had people sat next to me. Nice. which is complete opposite to my recent experience at the Marvels and Napoleon when the places were <laughs> empty. Um, so the movie theater was full. So I think, so actually I, I said, I actually said to Jill, hang on, just let me write down a quick list of what I think this movie was about. And I actually came up with 10 things a bit like oh, wow. Drew in the car. I was thinking about it. So can I go down that list? Absolutely. So I think this movie was about survivor's guilt. Yes. PTSD. Oh, big, time. Big, time. big time. PTSD. Redemption. Family is what you make of it. Friendship, loyalty, reconstruction. Mark's right. I mean, the, just the stuff about um, the devastation in Tokyo was amazing. Uh, the will of people over the stagnation of government, innovation, horrors of unnecessary war, cultural change, and then I put in brackets, oh, and it had a big lizard in it too. Um, that movie was, was just about so thing. I, I actually have, we have a, we had a Japanese exchange student live with us for, for a while. Um, and she's still sort of semi part of the family. She still calls us mom and dad, even though she's been back in Tokyo for a long time now. And we still see her whenever I've been in Japan. But it's interesting because when her and her family talk about the war, they're 
but their view on it is very different than ours and the ones that my kids got through their education. And they do talk a lot about the devastation and stuff. And I've heard them talk about it. But to see it on screen, um, to Mark's point, was incredibly emotional. Um, And to see that family who aren't related, but just come together and grow. And the friendship of the four guys on the boat, on the Minesweeper as well, um, was just such a call to that movie. Yeah, there was times... One particular scene in in thing when I was you know gasping oh no, um, almost in tears yeah. Um, but having said all that, when I said oh and it's got a big lizard in it, Godzilla was brilliant as the creature, the way the creature was actually represented, the way it moved, the looks. It didn't look like a CGI monster like it does in all the legendary ones. I'm not looking at that going that's good CGI. I'm looking at that thinking that is an actual organic being that i'm watching it was so well done so um absolutely i could could, yeah i'm gonna show may i I jump in just sorry alan may i jump in there's two points that i I think we we've danced around here but need to be mentioned first this is the seventh this is essentially the 70th anniversary of godzilla technically it'll be next year but but this film for for those who like doctor who when we do our 50th anniversaries of doctor who or 60th anniversaries there's a lot of odes to the past in this Godzilla, they are doing all the eras of Godzilla in one form or another. So rather than a big CGI monster, this is animated to look like an organic man in a guy guy in a suit, right? There's references to the Showa era, the Hesse era, all the eras of, of Godzilla, um, even though those are eras that are you know chronologically take place in, in the future from what this, this uh, story is taking place. And the other thing that is mind-blowing to me is when I looked up what the budget of this film is. Mike, you had said this film only made about $11.2 million in the United States. Guess what? It made its money back because it cost $15 million to make this film. This is essentially, for that price, an uh, independent film. Uh, And and so any money they make is probably going to be incredibly profitable. So the fact that we get this kind of quality, this should to anyone who likes these kind of films tell you why a, a well-written script is important and why character is important and why the legendary films, while they are spectacle are never going to be great films. They're going to be enjoyable films, but they'll never be on this level. Talking of the budget, and, I, I heard something on one of the YouTube videos I watched. And I don't know if it's about the amount of time it took to make this one. And that the reason the budget is low is they actually gave this, the animators and the, effects team time to do the details and get it right as opposed to throwing money at them and say we need a cgi monster in six months it's like we've only got this amount of budget but you've got two years right, right. um so you know they could work at it at a lower cost but actually get much better effects because they were actually giving they weren't pushing them they were giving them time to hone their craft and i thought that came up i don't know if it's that's accurate but they look like that to me on the screen. I, I also want to point out too. I mentioned the box office, and that I was talking just about the North American box office when this the, this debuted in Japan. Um, uh, I think the first weekend of October, and it was instantly number one at the Japanese box office. Um, it grossed, I think, um, seven point eight million, uh, roughly, if you convert the yen. Um, and it's done, you know, significantly well in Japan. So I don't want to make it sound like it's only made like, you know, uh, $12 million or whatever, because it's actually made 
quite a bit more than that if you add in the Japanese and the worldwide uh, numbers as well. Um, so I don't want to I don't want to slag down American movies because I do enjoy American movies, but you sure. wonder where the money goes sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you double uh, this movie's budget, triple it, quadruple it, and you're barely getting to the catering budget of an American movie. It's true. Hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars have been spent these past couple of years on big budget movies that have just completely not connected with the audience for whatever reason. And here we have the, what looks like a huge budget movie for $15 million. Mm-hmm. I remember a few years back when we did uh, the space battleship Yamato special. Yeah. I looked up that live action movie and that was $18 million. And that movie took place entirely out in space. There was no uh, just going outside and filming. I mean, everything was a, a set. And I, I just, I just baffles me where the money goes on American productions. Yeah. Well, it. Uh, well, a lot of them goes to. I mean, a lot of it goes to. I mean, I'm not, I'm not coming down on actors or whatever, but and and talent like that. But I mean. You know, uh, this budget would there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of actors and directors and writers in Hollywood that they they wouldn't even meet this budget. Right. Like they would they would want more than this, but this, this entire budget. Right. So and this, you know, this movie, despite the fact that it doesn't have any big names in it, uh, international names um, is I mean, all the actors are believable. All the actors are really, you know, well well received i think i i there wasn't any time where i thought oh man i'm not buying this um uh they did such a great job um mike what's something else about the movie or or overall what what how do you feel about it well like everyone else was saying i loved and i did mean loved i love the human interaction not just between the the fighter pilot and the you know the woman he met with the the daughter well the that became their daughter i should say and it was interesting but i love the interaction between him and the boat crew mm-hmm. that was you know they were what he needed they needed that was to help him build his confidence back to he had a purpose in life and that was the wonderful thing about it and i loved it I really, really loved it. And I thought that was just great. And the human element was just wonderful. And when you saw the ineptness of the government that they didn't want to get involved to help stop Godzilla, it had to be a civilian crew to do it. And it was just, it was just awesome to see. And I like how they played into the geopolitical and it was, you know, oh, we can't, Japan didn't want to get involved and the U.S. didn't want to get involved because of Russia and, you know, everything, because it was just the beginning of the Cold War. And it was a real thing. Yeah. Oh, very much so. And I just thought, you know, the scenes were so amazing in this movie, the wrecks of the ships and the battleships. And then to see Godzilla lock and load was just awesome. You know, literally the the fins coming up and as they were lighting up, they were raising and everything. That was just so well done. And then the power of his blast was just like beyond belief. Yeah, that was that was one of the first time that went off. 
the first time Godzilla went on Atomic. Uh, I mean, like I said, I was not in a Dolby theater. I was not in an IMAX theater. But I, I went back in my seat and I was like, wow. <laughs> that was just, I mean, they depicted it so well uh, that it was such a powerful moment. Um, and also, I agree with you about, uh, you know, you're not the only one that's uh, today has mentioned the boat crew. Um, the writer and director of this movie, uh, Takashi Yamazaki, I believe is uh, the pronunciation. I hope I'm I'm doing that justice. Um, uh, he has uh, stated in one of his influences uh, it, to make this movie was Jaws. And yeah, you could definitely tell with the uh, rapport with the, with the boat crew uh, that that was right there. I mean, we didn't get a scene of them comparing scars or anything, but, you know, it was it was that that camaraderie was there and that feeling was there. Um, but I also appreciate the fact that what, I, you know, you guys have talked about the human element, which I I'm all on board with. But I do have to say, like, equal equal to that is the Godzilla moments. And I really appreciate the fact that uh, the director didn't want to because we've seen it so many times especially when they try to reinvent him or whatever it's like oh let's build up to see godzilla let's like see a little bit of him here a little bit of him here and we won't get to see the full like beast until like the third act and you know we all know godzilla at this point <laughs> as you pointed out it's like it's He's reaching his 70th anniversary. It's like, yeah, we know what Godzilla looks like. We don't know what this version is going to look like, but we know what Godzilla's look like. You don't need to like pull the the whole, um, you know, Jaws thing on us, like, and show us just little bits at a time. Um, and they didn't. Like, I mean, when we, that first sequence where we see him on the island, a very young teenage Godzilla, pre, pre-atomic, right? Um, I mean, he's brutal. Uh, they they show all of him. It's just fantastic right there. And then, I mean, he's imposing then. Now, uh, I don't know if uh, uh, if uh, the Kamikaze pilot uh, would have had any shot, even if he had got to his plane and actually pulled the trigger. I don't suspect that he would have had any effect on Godzilla even at that point. But but still, because uh, he was that imposing. But then, you know, once he goes atomic, the next time we see Godzilla, man, that is something else entirely. Um, the sequences are just phenomenal of him, you know, destroying the cities. We've seen it a hundred times by now, but yet it's this made it feel just as fresh and it had consequences. I mean, we see the damage and we see the people reacting to the damage. And I think it was a, it was much more effective in this telling than it has been in the past. Um, and, you know, I mean, I hate to see him go, but man, <laughs> the ending of how they defeated Godzilla, I think, was really interesting, especially since, you know, this is a, a de-weaponized Japan um, so they have to come up with unique ways of defeating this thing. And I thought it was pretty clever. Um, and I mean, ultimately it was a, a, a bomb in a, in a plane that did it to him. But um, of course, as we, you know, see at the, right before the credits start, he, he's not quite done yet. <laughs> so um, Alan, uh, what else about the movie? Something else about the movie that you appreciated? Well, actually I'm just going to pick, cause I'm, as you guys know, I'm actually also an aviation geek. Um, Absolutely. So I love the plane. 
at the end. That's it a is, real plane, right? It is an actual plane, yeah. Um, hang on a minute. I just like grabbing my notes here. So it was the J7W Shinden fighter. Um, they they mentioned in the movie that they only two made made it into combat. It's not actually accurate. They only built two, which never saw combat. So there was two prototypes, gotcha. um, which were there in the energy, in, at the end of the war. Uh, one was scrapped. The other one was uh, repatriated by the U.S. Navy, and is actually at the Smithsonian in Washington D.C. Oh wow. Um, so, but yet that was an actual plane. I geeked out when I saw that um, because it's like, I know what that plane is. That's awesome. Um, so the, the only thing is, and this may have been a translation thing in the subtitles, they kept, the, the fighter pilot kept talking about jet planes. The Japanese did not have jet planes at right. that point in history. It's too early. Um, that, and they correctly showed that was actually propeller-driven um, aircraft. So that was fine. Um, again, just my aviation geek. But I must admit that last, the third act when they're building up to the big sacrifice, potential sacrifice to, you know, fly the plane into Godzilla's mouth, spoiler alert. Um, I was like, they've taken one fuel tank out of this plane to put the bomb in. There's no way that that plane's going to be flying around for that amount of time, just circling with only half a fuel tank. <laughs> um, but that was the only time in the movie that anything threw me out of the movie was I just had this thing at the back of my mind, that plane cannot stay up in the air that long on half a fuel tank, just circling around waiting for his moment. Um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, I love that as an ex-merchant um, marine sailor guy who's served on board ships as well. I love the whole stuff with the boats um, and the, the, the Navy guys. That was awesome too. Um, uh, and as I said, just the way they came together and that camaraderie, um, even... I mean, I didn't know any of the actors, but they were all brilliant. I think they there was just something about that family, and by family, I don't just mean the three of them, but as we said, also the guys on the boat, the neighbor across the street, the way they all sort of grew together. Um, I just and then, and then the mechanic and his guys as well. It was just like nuclear family, coin of phrase, sort of grew and grew and grew, and he gradually pulled in more and more people that you cared about, and it really was about caring about the people. So yeah, I. I, I don't really have a bad word to say about this movie other than that one little technical gaffe with the plane. So, And the cast had great chemistry together. Yeah, they I did. Was just, I really was work. literally just thinking that. Yeah. I really was just... So thinking. all those interactions were totally believable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drew, what's something else? Uh, you got anything else in your notes there? I have so many. Um, so <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's talk a little bit about just some favorite scenes. Um Anything with Godzilla is great, um, but in particular, Mike, you mentioned that in this situation, Godzilla is multi, uh, multi-representative. Um, it's an allegory to a number of things, right? So, you know, the original Godzilla 1954 is only nine years after Hiroshima. I mean, mm-hmm. think about that. Nine years after that kind of devastation, and they're making a movie trying to parse out a country's trauma. Um, and in many ways, it still has the same allegory in this, but it's also, I think, a representative of the horrors of war because it's always going to follow you. And in many ways, I was thinking, all right, so Kiyoshi, who's our kind of quote-unquote coward slash hero slash redemption arc, it, I was really – I mean 10 minutes in the movie, you know how the movie's going to end. I mean it's like you you have a, a, a fighter pilot who is too afraid or wants to live and won't kill themselves. You know how that story has to end. Um, but, uh, the idea that 
uh, he gets up in the air. He finally gets in the plane. And as he's on his way, he's flying over this beautiful green pastoral fields of Japan. And the music fades. It lowers. And nothing is said. The engines, it's all you can see is the engines, but you can just see him looking at the beauty that is his country. And the camera is from his point of view. So it's looking down across the field. And then the camera moves to the point of view to the front of the plane. And you just see Godzilla walking across the green fields. And everywhere Godzilla walks, there's destruction and fire and damage. This is this is always going to be a part of it. And there's only one way for him to, you know, get it, get it out of his life. And I thought that's really good storytelling because if you can present that to us and it's not so heavy handed and you can do so in so little words uh, and the other scene that i think is maybe not as obvious as as a showcase piece is uh we we talk about this is a a, a volunteer army right so the the government's not going to be a help and it's basically anyone who wants to do it but everyone who comes to the meeting to for the volunteers they're all ex-military mm-hmm. they're all like ex-military who um have have found themselves adrift after the war. They are all suffering from PTSD. They're all suffering trying to get their families together. They're all suffering from injuries. You know, so many of them are limping or so many of them are in bandages. Uh, and the idea that they have to go back. But this time, unlike the first time where there are, you know, the rich, the politicians, they're making them go to war and they're going to see no benefit, they actually can do good. And they're doing it to save their families. And there's a scene where you're thinking Kiyoshi's going to be the guy who stands up and rallies the troops together. And he doesn't. Mm-mm. Once again, he is unable to speak. And he just sits there. You know, We're looking at this massive crowd scene. And he's in the bottom left-hand corner with his arms crossed, scowling, while people who we've never seen before standing up and talking about the price they have to pay and why they will or won't join. And it's a very powerful scene, and I think it's a really intelligent one because at that point in time, we don't have a, our point of view hero character leading everything. This is a really about found family and standing up, and this is about a you know a generational trauma, if you will, um, post-war. I think both of those are really excellent. And Mike, you mentioned that Godzilla is not only allegory but also a god. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's true. Those scenes in the water with the boat mm-hmm. is something that we've never seen in a Godzilla film before. I know Godzilla versus Kong is the aircraft carrier fight. It's not the same. It's not. It, it's not even designed to be the same. Um, and yes, it, it does invoke Jaws, but at the same time, it invokes the awe of what Godzilla actually is. Um, at no point in time do you think this is a man in a rubber suit. This is this is legitimate. Both supernatural, natural um, power that is beyond anything, and the fact that it it is accepted by the people as being something natural, but above them as well, it was really well done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, and then, sorry, last one, one, one last scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very final scene where their neighbor, um, who is, let's see, it's not Noriko, uh, Sumiko. So Sumiko f- meets him at when the boat docks and is hitting him because she's got the telegram yeah. and she's just reading the, holding the telegram and he- pounding his chest. Like you're such an idiot. You never checked. All of this could have been avoided. You would have risked it all. I, uh, that's, I think probably the time I lost it the most. So. 
Yeah, it's an interesting ending because it sets it up that Noriko has quote unquote died in in the attack in the Godzilla attack, and then uh, and uh, Shikishima is going to you know fulfill his kamikaze destiny, right? But the movie dials back on both of those. It doesn't give us both of those deaths, right? It dials back at the end where, uh, you know, the pilot um, uh, it, it does uh, does escape, um, and and quite um, uh, in a great. I was touched. the The thing that touched me was the fact that, um, you know, his his old captain, that one captain who has every reason to want him dead is the one who made sure that that plane had an ejector seat for him uh, and wanted him to live. Um, that, that was, that touched me a lot. Um, and then we find out that um, Noriko's alive too. So you've got this like happy ending. Whereas I didn't, I didn't expect that. I thought, you know, with the, the way that this movie was playing out things that it would be kind of a honorable ending uh, for the main characters, but it would be an ending um so i i but i it didn't even though they dialed back on both of those i didn't feel like it was it it felt contrived i felt like it was earned and i was glad for it because i was glad to see them when they reunited in the hospital um i it was it was it was really touching and it got really dusty in the theater really dusty uh uh all right mike uh, mark uh last uh any last comments from you on the movie yeah, I was actually very surprised on how anti-government the movie was presented. The uh they they had to they had to wave a wand to get the Americans out of the picture cuz in reality Japan was occupied by the American military. So if a giant monster did land on the beach, there would have been an American military response to it. However, brilliantly, they just ramped up the Cold War and they said the Americans had to face down the Soviets and they couldn't spare any men or materials to fight what they called the Japanese problem. But yeah. the part that shocked me was the Japanese government just collapsed. It just said, we, we can't deal with it and we're not going to. So that's when the ordinary citizens got together. Uh, one of the boat crew, Doc, he meets up with a veteran uh, Navy captain, and they, like was mentioned earlier, regular citizens, all veterans, were called to a meeting, and when they were presented with what is basically a suicide mission, some of them just got up and left. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a wife. I have a family to take care of. I've already done my duty. And the one, like like was mentioned earlier, our hero is just sitting in the corner. And a regular guy gets up and says, you're telling me the government isn't going to be involved. And they said, yes. And he says, oh, so we stand a better chance of surviving now. Now, if, if that's not a stab at the war government and the post-war government of Japan, I don't know what is. So there was tons of stabs at the Japanese yeah. government throughout. The and uh, we, we've really only glanced on Shin Godzilla, which came out just a few years earlier. That movie was made in response to the uh, tsunami and the uh, nuclear power station that was uh, flooded right. and uh, had a radiation leak. And the uh, public was upset with the government response to that disaster. 
So they just made that Shin Godzilla movie and ramped that up to 11 mm-hmm. on how the entire Japanese government was wiped out and all these minor functionaries had to move up into higher positions and actually got the job done. So they were saying the people that we elect aren't can't handle it and it takes other people to come up and take care of it. So that was two Godzilla movies in a row, very <laughs> critical of the modern government and the past government, which that took some guts. I mean, for a, a filmmaker, that, that took some guts. Yeah, absolutely. Alan, any last words from you on the movie? I was just going to say, we just talked, um, Drew and Mike really just touched on it, but for me, one of the underlying things it was that cultural shift. There was that line in there about, I mean, they went into detail about, you know, why things work, didn't work in the war, you know, that uh, the ships weren't well armored, planes didn't have ejector seats, you know, the, the, basically people were sent out to die. And then there was the line in the movie about it's no longer about war is no longer about sacrifice. We're going to war about our future. And for me, that underlined a huge cultural shift in Japanese thinking, which was happening around that time about, you know, start looking for the future. We're not doing things just because of tradition or we've been told to, or it's about sacrifice. War is no longer about sacrifice. War is about, um, you know, making sure that we have a future. And as you said, you know, the the whole thing of, you know, Godzilla was very much uh, an analogy for, you know, war and the fear of atomic war in particular and the inevitability of the damage and stuff that comes with war. Um, so there was, there was that, but, uh, but also being a Godzilla newbie, the first time he used his atomic breath, boy, that blew me away almost <laughs> literally. Um, and, and that, that scene was heart wrenching with when you actually saw the human cost of that as well. Um, it was spectacular, but it was also heart wrenching. So yeah, this was just a brilliant movie all around. Yeah. Any final words on the movie from you, Mike? I mean, for now anyway. Yeah. Go see it, folks. It's it's wonderful. It is probably it's ranked up there with one of my favorite Godzilla movies, um, and it is going to be up there in our lists of top movies for the year. It's definitely going to be up at the top towards the number one because it just it took me out of nowhere, and it's a human drama that just ha- like we said earlier that just happens to have a monster in it. And boy, is it a monster and everything. And there's scenes in Godzilla movies from Godzilla movies that, you know, in this one that we've never seen before. The scene where Godzilla was following the the PT boat. And that was just amazing. And it was just, you know, it, it didn't look CGI. It didn't look like a guy in a costume. It looked amazing. And whoever, you know, did the special effects on this truly it's a true thumbs up, you know, you know, it might've been a guy staying up all night on his Mac, trying to get all the effects done and everything, but you know what? Bravo to them. They did a great, great job on this. And I'm looking forward to seeing this again because I went on my own and Judy's now I've been raving about it for two days and, you know, I definitely want to take her to go see it too. Yeah. Absolutely. More people, more people. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Uh, Anybody stay through the credits or did anybody, everybody leave? Oh man. All right. I mean, it's not, there's no after credit scene. It's, this is not a Marvel movie. This is not like, but 
I will say, uh, stay through the credits um, because you will be granted a little gift. Um, uh, the uh, first of all, I stayed through the credits anyway, even though usually I like to read the credits, but in this case, I don't read Japanese, so it was not really conducive to me to read the credits. Uh, but also just to just sit back and listen to the Godzilla theme and the different Godzilla themes because they incorporated it's not just the the 54 theme they incorporated in the movie but as Drew pointed out there's references to other Godzilla movies uh other music in 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 the suite that they had too i instantly got the soundtrack the soundtrack is 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 phenomenal um and uh i will say if you stay to the end you just hit to hear one final before it fades to black or whatever uh before it ends you that you're grant you're gifted with one last Godzilla roar, and it just is awe. I was just in awe. I mean, there's no way I could leave the theater not smiling after a Godzilla roar, um, which is something I would not say if he was real mm-hmm. <laughs> at all. So, reason enough to go see it, especially on a good theater, like a really quality, high quality uh, super theater. So, hopefully, that'll be available for us. If not, then you know, get your sound systems ready at home because I'm sure this will be available. I do believe that Amazon Prime has said that they, I think, will have the rights to have to show this at some point. So maybe next year. Um, so um, in the meantime, you know, there's a lot of other Godzilla stuff to come because we saw trailers and stuff from Monarch. But we'll talk about that next year because I'm sure that'll be something that uh, is on our radar. But thanks, guys. We really appreciate you guys uh, joining us to talk about this uh, Toho release. Uh, We're going to be right back, and we're going to close out the show. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buds. We have actually got a little bit of a breather at the box office this week, which is nice because a lot of stuff has been coming out late November, early December, so... If you want to get caught up on some movies before the next big batch of holiday movies, this weekend would be a great time. Um, I've been hearing lots of great buzz about Godzilla Minus One, so hoping to get to the theater to check that out. Um, Fortunately, the buzz for Disney has not been as good with both Wish and the Marvels underperforming, which I'm sad about the Marvels because I really... Um, personally enjoyed that. So I hope that this doesn't mean that Disney is going to panic and do a huge course correct. Talking about the state of the MCU and where it's at right now goes far beyond the scope of a short little box office blur. But um, I just hope that um, Disney doesn't over panic, but maybe looks at this opportunity to kind of readjust in some of the movies. I feel like things have gotten a bit sprawling and meandering and hasn't engaged the general public as much since Endgame. The MCU is not dead in the water by any means, but hopefully a good time to reflect and think more. Speaking of other superhero franchises, of course, DC later this month has Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. I've heard that this movie is not tracking super great, so I think that, unfortunately, people are just kind of done for a little bit, and we probably won't see a lot of hype for the DC Cinematic Universe until James Gunn's new movie. But negative stuff, 
let's set that aside. I am really looking forward to the movie Wonka, which is coming out in a few short weeks. I have high hopes for this movie. I hope that it's a fun, feel-good family movie. I'm looking forward to seeing it. And it will probably be my favorite movie of the holiday season since I'm a little skeptical about Aquaman. But who can say? That's it for this week's Box Office Buzz. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blogs over on the ESO Podcast website. Check out the Modern Musicology Podcast, where each week we talk about things like... What makes a great drummer? Our favorite rock documentaries. Songs we love by artists we don't love. Our favorite concert memories. Songs that should have been singles. And all of our favorite music from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and now. Do not use Modern Musicology if you're allergic to it. Modern Musicology may produce itching, dizziness, vertigo, temporary blindness, or heart palpitations. Do not taunt Modern Musicology. Ask your doctor about switching to Modern Musicology. Hey everybody, Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. About a month ago, the Rolling Stones put their new album, Hackney Diamonds, into the top 10 of the Rolling Stones album chart and marked the seventh consecutive decade of having at least one album in the top 10 of that chart. And last week, another artist achieved a similar milestone. They have had a single on one of the Billboard singles charts in every decade for seven decades. Not necessarily the Hot 100, but one of the Billboard singles charts. And that would be Cher from her Christmas album. The the song DJ Play a Christmas Song has hit number one on the dance and electronic charts in all its auto-tuned glory. And if you need a little Christmas cheer in your life, you can see her with Darlene Love, another icon at the Rockefeller Center tree lighting. Uh, The videos are up online now. And Saturday came the end of an era as KISS played their final show at Madison Square Garden. And after the band left the stage, they premiered their new era. They will be performing as avatars. They have teamed up with Pop House Entertainment, which is the same company that produced the ABBA Avatar show, which pulls in $2 million a week. Uh, The avatars are created by Industrial Light and Magic. Um, No word on how this is going to be done, if it's going to be in one place or tour or or any of that. But they previewed the avatars after they left the stage on Saturday. Uh, The videos are up online. It doesn't look like avatars so much as a big video. And... After it's over, there's some polite, sort of confused applause. You'd get the feeling the crowd didn't really understand quite what was happening. So we'll have to see how this goes. As Neil Young said, hey, hey, my, my, rock and roll will never die. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment, and we'll catch you next time. Attention, people of Earth! Looking for a way to kill half an hour every week? Try the Flopcast. It's a silly podcast about cartoons, music, comics, movies, obscure pop culture from the 70s and 80s, and chickens. Join us. Bring coffee. We're on the ESO network. And we're at Flopcast.net. Welcome to Geek Girls Take. I'm your host, Angela. And this week, this geek girl is talking about the Marvels. Since the end of Miss Marvel Season 1, I have been 
waiting for the Marvels to be released. I absolutely loved Miss Marvel. I loved WandaVision. And I love the Captain Marvel film. So I've really, really been wanting to see all three of these characters interact together. Also, Goose. I missed Goose. I needed so much more Goose. The Marvels did not disappoint. As a girl who was introduced into comics in the late 80s, and I worked at a comic book shop for 15 years as my first job, I have dreamed and wished for a time where we had female-led comic movies and shows. The last decade has given me that, and it makes me so, so happy. I loved how Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, and Monica all interacted. I do wish we had more impactful interactions between Carol and Monica. I also wish Miss Marvel wasn't sidelined for most of her fights, even though it you can tell that she is the least powerful of the three. But her fight in space with Fury was awesome. I love that Kamala's family was included, since I love her parents and brothers so much from the show, and they really shined in the film, too. Just everything about this movie was fantastic. I do wish the villain wasn't so cookie-cutter, though, but that seems to be on par for many Marvel movies, which I do wish they would fix. But overall, it did let the main character shine, and that's what I wanted to see. I wanted more Kamala, I wanted more Carol, and I wanted more Monica, and I got all of that. Overall, I was very, very happy with the Marvels, and I really can't wait to see more out of these characters, especially after that ending credits scene. Holy cow, what are we going to get there? I'm really excited to see. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. Alan, thanks for sleeping on the station this week. We did appreciate you. Thank you. The beds are comfy. Catering's not so good, but the beds are comfy. Well, we're working on the catering, you know, and everything. (laughs) Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Yeah, actually, talking about growing up on Japanese TV, um, I don't know if folks are aware of this book, Rising Sun Reruns, Mm -hmm. um, which is a selection of essays from... Today's Growing Up Kids, reflecting on growing up on Japanese TV shows, I have an essay in here about uh, watching a Japanese TV show called The Water Margin, which was a badly dubbed BBC version of a Japanese show that I grew up on. But if you want to know about flying robots, Astro Boy, Battle of the Planets, Space Giants, and all that good stuff that you guys were talking about, this is a fun collection of essays on people's memories of growing up with those TV shows. Uh, it's called Rising Sun Rebrands, and uh, you can find it. Uh, a link to it from the uh, the books page on my website, alanjborder.com. Awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely looking into that. Because, yeah, I grew up with stuff like that, like Johnny Sacco. Then you also had Marine Boy, Speed Racer, Kimba the White Lion. You know, you had all those type of things. It was just wonderful stuff. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Drew, always great to have you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me along. This is uh, one of my favorite subjects to discuss. Uh, And if you want to hear me discuss more movies, um, I have a a relatively new podcast called Never Say Die. It is a movie review and role-playing game podcast where we bring in a movie, discuss it, and then discuss how you can um, role-play the kind of the spirit of the film regardless of the system that you're using our first season was all kids on bikes second season is all heist films and somehow we managed to talk about godzilla and monster and kaiju films in almost all of our episodes uh so that one's can be found wherever you find fine podcasts 
That's awesome that you're recording again, sir. That's awesome to ah, hear. Yeah. Absolutely. Now it's back to Cronenberg body horror for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and Mr. It's Mark. The way to spend the holidays. <laughs> Mr. Mark, thank you so much as always. Oh, thank you for having me as always. Anything you want to promote or shout out about? Uh, I am currently working on a uh, screenplay for a completely computer animated movie, which I cannot quite divulge anything about. And I've also working on a uh, new story for Dark Sister Magazine, which you can find on Amazon if you wish. But my new story is not out yet. Awesome. 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 Look up, just look up Mark. He's everywhere. I, I'm know. on Facebook. That's my that's my jam. I'm easily I'm there every day. So if you want to find me, I'm easy to find. Mm-hmm. He's sitting there, you know, talking. We'll talk to anybody. He talks to us, so he must be able to talk to anybody. <laughs> so it's a good thing. And now that he got his microphone working, watch out, world. He's coming for you. Now you can actually hear me when I talk. Exactly. It's a perfect thing. And Mr. Mike Gordon, we've made it through another one, my friend. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about or promote? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, we had the, uh, Bobby had the original um, or the actual um, book launch this past weekend, although it's been available for a little while now. But I just wanted to give a shout out to our good friend, Bobby Nash, uh, Benny Books, uh, his uh, self-publishing company, which I, I help with edits, uh, came out with the newest, uh, the seventh installment of the Abraham Snow series, which is Snow Hunt. So it's available now. Um, it's uh, these be, these books just keep getting better and better. The action, this one is almost all action. It's a great uh, uh, sort of story about um, a thriller about um, trying to find an assassin who loves to plant bombs all over Atlanta. Uh, so uh, it's um, it's a really good read. And you know, if you're if you're from the Atlanta area, you are very familiar with some of these sites. So um, it's uh, it's it's it, this is, I think, one of the best series that uh, Bobby's ever done. So and he continues to get better and better with them. So they are available. They make great stock. You can put them in stocking, great stocking stuffers. So uh, get some, get feet. some, yeah. get, get some, yeah, get some, get some snow for Christmas. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, my shout out real quick is to the fine folks here at ESO Network. It's been a while since we've all gotten together, but we actually had a holiday party and it's first one we've done in over four years and it was wonderful to be back with everybody um it's just it was always an annual tradition ever since i started podcasting is to get together with either my podcast host and such or friends of the show and then as the network grew we started um having a yearly holiday party and up until covid we got together with you know everyone who was local to atlanta but then we even had folks who came in from tennessee from alabama from florida you know if they could get to us they came in for the party and this was the first time we've been able to get together and that i felt comfortable enough after covid to be able to have be in a crowd like this and it was wonderful it was magical it was a great great time to join together and see people we haven't been in the same room with for quite some time and to celebrate to celebrate the season to celebrate eso to talk about memories and 
you know, all this kind of stuff. And it was just, it was a, it, for me, it was just a really, really special time. And we've got a lot coming this next year that, you know, we'll be in touch with and you guys will be along for the ride that, you know, we're going to, you know, be able to celebrate all together and for a lot of things. So, you know, just, you know, it's just this time of the year, it's always nice to reflect and remember, but also be thankful for what you have and to all those who are around you. So it was just really nice. And I also want to give a shout out to the fine folks at Bambinelli's in Tucker, Georgia. Yeah, they yeah. were amazing. Um, they have, you know, some amazing Italian food and they have a couple different locations around Atlanta. And so if you get a chance, check them out. We're giving, and they they didn't even pay for advertising, you know, and we ended up paying them. So, you know, <laughs> this is, it was still that good that I'm willing to give them a shout out. So you can check them at bambinellis.com or Yelp or, you know, Google and such. I definitely would highly recommend it. Thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. Always remember, we couldn't do this without you. If you want to support the podcast, please check out our Tee Public store and check out some cool ESO Network swag. And right now, the whole store is 35% off. So, folks, mm-hmm. if you've been wanting to get some Earth Station One stuff, any ESO Network show stuff, um, there's some pretty cool things up there. And, you know, 35% off the regular prices is pretty decent. And their prices aren't that high anyway. So, you know, I know I'm going to be getting some ESO Network stickers and some other things that, you know, some new T-shirts and such. And we have new designs coming. So, you know what? There's always new stuff popping up. And even if you go through our link and you see other designs other than, you know, what we designed, you can actually purchase those through the store and we still get, get a little, you know, credit for it. So definitely check it out. You can find the link on top of the Earth Station One podcast website or ESO Network website. So definitely check it out. Also, if you want to help support us, please, you know, become a patron of the ESO Network for only as little as a dollar a month. You, too, can help support the ESO Network. And we want to give a huge shout out to our patrons. You've been with us through thick and thin. And you know what? We do appreciate you guys more than you could ever expect. Thank you, as always, to those patrons. You, too, can join them. Just go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. We want to hear from you, so please write us anytime you want. Please write us at feedback at earthstation1.com. We definitely would love to hear from you. Remember, you could also find Earthstation One wherever fine podcasts are found. And now Earthstation One has these wonderful sunny faces up on video. So you know what, folks? You could see us on YouTube and you could throw things at us and, you know, yell at us back and say, that's not what Godzilla was about. No, of course. You can see my Godzilla guy. Exactly, right up there. You could see it. <laughs> it's looming over Mike Gordon. He's looming. Exactly. Pretty awesome. So you definitely check it out. You know, definitely check us up on YouTube. And if you get a chance, like and subscribe. You made it this far into the video. You must like us somewhat, you know, or something. So please, like and subscribe. Okay, folks, that's the show for tonight. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Michael Gordon, Alan J. Porter, Drew Meyer, and Mr. Mark Holmes. Thank you for joining us on Earth Station One. We'll see you here next week. Take it easy, everyone. Have a great week, and we are done. Boom. Bye.
You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.